Today's episode is brought to you by the She Leads Podcast Network, the first network for women by women. Visit SheLeadsPodcast.com to learn more today. Welcome to the Creative Visionaries Podcast. My name is Tori Barker, a digital marketing specialist, business owner, mom, and you guessed it, a creative visionary. This podcast is about inspiring business owners, building connections, sharing success stories, and motivating others. Join me on this journey as we tap into your true potential and unleash your inner visionary. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me back on the Creative Visionaries podcast. I am very excited to introduce our guest, uh, Josh Steinle. And um, Josh, why don't you go ahead and take a minute and introduce yourself? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks, Tori, for having me on. By way of introduction, I grew up in Southern California. I was born to a rocket scientist and a public school teacher. My dad was a little bit entrepreneurial, I guess, when I was growing up, and he definitely supported me in my entrepreneurial ambitions. I didn't know what the word entrepreneur meant back then, but I loved making money, doing things to make my own money somehow. And so I got some experience while I was in high school selling candy bars from Costco at school and running a skate shop and just doing all sorts of odd little things here and there. And then when I went to college, that's when I first discovered that there was this thing called the business school. I didn't realize that people went to college to do business. I thought people just did it. They just started businesses and ran them. And so when I went to college and found out that I could study business, I became fascinated by that and switched my major from art to business. And then by the time I graduated with my degree, I was already running a business. I had 10 employees and that was it. That's what I'm still doing today. So I graduated in 2002 and today I've got a marketing agency and I've got a bunch of different businesses. So I have a holding company called Pando Partners. And we start businesses, or I should say, I start businesses. Well, we start businesses, I start businesses, <laughs> and then we bring in partners to run those businesses. Awesome. Uh, one thing I learned about myself over the past 20 years is that I'm pretty okay at starting businesses and I'm terrible at running businesses. <laughs> and so this model of starting businesses, but then finding partners has worked out well for me. Well, that kind of leads into the, the next question I was going to ask you. Um, since the podcast is Creative Visionaries, uh, do you see yourself as a visionary? And when did that um, aha moment happen for you? I am definitely a visionary the way that Gina Wickman talks about visionaries and traction and rocket fuel in those books. Uh, it's not the word I would put on my LinkedIn profile or anything like that. But when he talks in rocket fuel about visionaries having a hundred ideas a week and 90% of them are bad, but the other 10% make the world go round. When I read that, I thought that's me because I have those hundred ideas a week, maybe 99% of mine are bad and one's good, but I definitely have the hundred ideas a week and I want to execute every single one of them. And so I have tons of ideas, and but I, I didn't really get that paradigm of visionary versus integrator or what a visionary entrepreneur was until I read that book, Rocket Fuel, which was probably maybe four or five years ago that I read that. Yeah. Until that point, I was struggling because I wanted to do it all. I had met a, I had a mentor back in, gee, probably around 1999. 
when I was starting my businesses. And he said that most entrepreneurs fit into a certain niche and like they're really good at starting businesses or they're good at kind of the middle stage of managing or they're good at scaling. When he said that, I thought, well, I want to do it all. (laughs) And I said, well, what's the problem? Like, why can't entrepreneurs just do all of it? And he said, well, it's arrogance and it's pride. They're not willing to learn. And I thought, well, I'm going to be the guy who's humble and open to learning. And then I just struggled for the next 15 years trying to figure out like, why is nothing I'm doing working? And when I read Rocket Fuel, I realized this is a huge part of why things are not working out for me. It's because I'm trying to start and run businesses at the same time. And I need that integrator person who just chugs away and gets stuff done. And that is not me. And once I came to grips with that, then everything changed for me. Yeah, I can totally relate. I had a similar experience too with reading Rocket Fuel about um, a little less than a year ago and um, related in the same way. When I first started reading the book, I was sure I was an integrator and I thought, oh yeah, that's definitely going to be me. I'll read through the book and it'll fit me to a T. And as I started reading and reading more and more, the visionary role really matched me. And like you said, those hundred ideas and, you know, always thinking, you know, new ideas, new ways to do stuff. And so it was, it was, it was a fun moment to kind of have, um, you know, something to put to that feeling of who I was and, and describe you know, why I was so passionate about so many things. So I can absolutely relate with you. (laughs) For sure. So um, one thing I wanted to have you tell us about, so you have um, a business called uh, the Seven Systems of Influence, and that's a formula. Is that correct? Right. It's a, I, I got really interested in just influence generally, not influencers like the crazy kids on YouTube, not that type of influence, but just the type of influence we all have on each other, whether it's professionally or in relationships or however. I got really interested in studying that a few years ago and started trying to figure out like, what are the steps or what's the formula? And over the years, I came up with these seven systems of influence. And now I leverage that everywhere. I use that with my clients when I'm onboarding a client for a marketing engagement. I use it when I'm creating content. I use it when I'm launching a podcast or writing a book. I go through these seven systems of influence and it helps me to figure out how to structure my content. The first one is vision. Before we create something, we have to have some idea of what it's going to be, a vision of what we want the outcome to be. And once we define that vision and we've got a clear picture of what we want to create, then the next system is a genius zone which is that's the combination of talents, skills, experience, knowledge that you have that makes you unique. So for example, I grew up skateboarding and by itself, that's not that unique. I mean, there are 20 million skateboarders out there. So I'm not special as just a skateboarder, but I also own a marketing agency. And so when you overlap marketing with skateboarder, and especially somebody who owns a marketing agency with skateboarder, I don't know. I'm sure there's some marketing agency owners out there who skate like I do and love the skateboarding world like I do, but there probably aren't more than 10 or 20 in the entire world. And so when you overlap those two zones, which I call expert zones, you get a potential genius zone where you say, this is a place, this intersection, I could live here and I could do amazing things because I could go to like a Nike and say, Hey, 
I really understand skateboarding, but I also really understand marketing and I can help you sell a lot of shoes to kids who skateboard because of those dual zones of experience. And we all have multiple genius sounds and we find them by listing out all the things that we know something about, all our expert zones. And then we start overlapping those and see what comes up. And it might be that you know you speak a certain language or you lived in a certain country, but you also have certain experience in a certain industry and maybe you know certain people and you just start overlapping these things and you realize if I focus on that zone, right. then that's where I can add the most value, make the most money, make the biggest impact in the world is where there's one of those genius zones. So that's system number two. System number three is your ideal audience. So it's who do you want to impact? Who do you want to change? Who do you want to influence? Who do you want to motivate? And it's different for everybody and it's different on the situation. So I'm a parent. So when I'm looking at, hey, how does this trash get taken out today? That's my vision, right? The trash will get taken out today. Yes. Well, who do I need to influence? Well, I could do it myself. I'll have to influence myself in that case, or I can try to influence one of my kids to do it. And in that sense, my genius zone is I'm the parent and my ideal audience is my kid that I'm going to try to get to take out the trash. In a professional sense, it might be my genius zone is the marketing and the skateboarding. And then my ideal audience is, well, maybe it's Nike if I'm pitching Nike, but if it's, I'm, if I'm already employed by Nike, then my ideal audience becomes the consumers, which might be the kids who are buying the shoes, or it might be their parents who are actually buying the shoes. So I have to think about who that ideal audience is. Uh, Number four is content. And content is not just a blog post or something. It's the message that you're trying to communicate. What is not just the blog post or the video or the social media post that you're going to produce, but what message do you want to get across to your ideal audience, get inside their heads so that they will take a desired action that leads them to fulfill that vision that you originally came up with in system number one. So the content is partly the message that you're trying to deliver. It's also the medium or the channel. So is it my audience hangs out on YouTube? Well, then I'm going to deliver my message on YouTube. Or if they're reading Forbes magazine, then I have to deliver my message to them through Forbes magazine so that they'll read it there. A few years ago, I was writing for Forbes magazine and I wrote an article about SEO. My marketing agency does search engine optimization. And so I wrote an article on how to hire an SEO firm. And this article went crazy on Forbes. It actually generated millions of dollars of revenue for my agency because anytime somebody went on Google and searched how to hire an SEO firm, this article on Forbes would come up and then they'd read it and they'd say, hey, he has some good tips. He's in Forbes, so I should be able to trust him. Yeah. And gee, who is this guy? Why don't we just go hire him to do our SEO? And so we got tons of leads for my SEO agency from that. Well, I thought, hey, I'm not just writing for Forbes. I'm also writing for Entrepreneur and I'm writing for a bunch of other business publications. So why don't I take this same article and I'll rewrite it a little bit and then I'll post it on Entrepreneur and in these other places. Right. Yeah. And I did that. And it didn't work at all. We got zero leads when we posted more or less the same article in these other places. And so the only difference I could come up with is my audience was on Forbes. My audience was not on Entrepreneur. And so that's how much the channel matters. You might have great content, 
But if you're putting it in the wrong place and it's not your ideal audience, then it's, it's going to fall flat. Yeah, absolutely. So that's system number four. That's content. And then system number five is action plan. It's what are you actually going to do? Because up until now, really, when we talk about vision and genius zone and ideal audience and content, that's all planning or creating content. But it's how are we going to get this done? How are we going to execute? What goals are we going to set? What's the plan? Are we going to create a content calendar? There's got to be some sort of plan where the rubber hits the road and you actually get stuff done. So that's system number five. System number six is collaboration. So that's who else can I work with? Who can I partner with to get more done, get more done faster? Uh, Because if you try to do a lot of stuff by yourself, you're going to end up spinning your wheels. You're going to spend a lot of time and effort and not get very far. But if you can find the right partners, then sometimes you can thousand X your efforts with a simple partnership. I mean, an easy example is just, the collaborations that people do with YouTube or Instagram, where they say, Hey, I've got 5,000 subscribers to my YouTube channel. You have 5,000 subscribers on your YouTube channel. And our audiences are kind of interested in similar things. Why don't we do a collaboration video, put it on both of our channels, and then we'll double how many subscribers we have. And we have 10,000 at that point. So there's so many collaboration opportunities like that out there where you can get your message out there to a larger audience very quickly by collaborating. So that's system six. And then system seven, the last one is love, which obviously not romantic love. We're talking about (laughs) goodwill. We're talking about caring about people and wanting the best for people. No matter what you do with the other six of the seven systems, you could do all the other six things right. But if you're missing that love, it's going to fall flat because people will sense it. They'll sense that you don't care about them. You're just in it for the money or for the transaction. At the same time, if you get system seven right and you get the other six wrong, people will forgive it. You they'll say, you know what? This is terrible content. He delivered it in the wrong place, but I saw this and I can just sense that this is a good guy or a good gal or a good company they want what's best for me and they'll trust you because they sense that love or that goodwill or that caring. And so system number seven is really the key to making all of it work. If that's not in place, we have less influence. I mean, think about kids. If you have kids, you know, that if you don't care, if you're just angry at them and you're just trying to get them to do stuff because you want them to get it done, then they sense that and they don't respond very favorably. But if they know that you care about them, they'll forgive a lot of mistakes that you make as a parent. Yeah. You know, I was uh, reading your book, which we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, 60 Days of LinkedIn Mastery. And in there, you touched on the collaboration um, part and how uh, kind of the topic of abundance, right? Why can't uh, two marketing companies work together? Because there's so much business out there for everyone. And, you know, having that authenticity and, you know, abundance mindset. Um, talk a little bit about that. Cause I really like that, that aspect that you have and the mindset that you have on that. Yeah. It's when I talk to clients and we talk about, especially system three and the seven systems, we talk about ideal audience. And what I see a lot is people will cast a wide net and they say, well, my ideal audience is entrepreneurs. And I'm like, Well, let's get a little more specific because there are millions of entrepreneurs out there. And if you go out with a message and you say, hey, are you an entrepreneur? You might be interested in my XYZ. 
nobody's going to listen because nobody really matches up with that and says, Hey, he's talking to entrepreneurs. I'm an entrepreneur. Nobody (laughs) thinks that way. But if you say something like, Hey, if you, if you are a 23 year old male entrepreneur in Salt Lake city, Utah, who's starting a SaaS company and you are $50,000 or more in debt, then I've got a message for you. Well, now, you might be worried saying, well, wait, I just excluded so many people from that message. But at the same time, if that matches up with somebody out there and they hear that, they're going to say, whoa, this person is talking directly to me. There aren't yeah. that many of me around, but that person's message, like I've got to listen to this message right. because they just called me out and they identified exactly who I am. And for a lot of people that I work with who are consultants uh, or companies where it's not a mass market type of product. I ask them, how many new clients do you need this year to totally change your business, to totally change your life? And for some people, it's five. For some right. people, it's 20. For some people, it's 50. And then I ask, well, how many of those people, your ideal audience, I mean, if you really drill down, how many of those people are, are out there? Well, gee, tens of thousands. So why are you targeting millions of people that you don't want to work with when you could target the people you really want to work with right? and just zoom in on those people and only work with the people that you love working with? And so I'll ask them a few, if this, then this, or would you rather type questions where I'll say like, would you rather work with clients who have lots of money or no money? And most people would like to work with clients who have lots of money. Okay. So why are you, why aren't you? Making that part of your messaging to say, I work with clients and we charge $10,000 a month. Oh, well, then I'm going to lose all the people who only have 5,000. Well, who cares? You're getting the people who will pay 10,000. Why do you care about losing the people who only pay five? Or would you rather work with clients that are near to you or clients that are far away that you have to travel overseas to go see? Well, but I don't want to exclude the international ones. Well, why? If you only need five (laughs) clients... Right. And you would prefer to work with people face-to-face and just drive 15 minutes instead of flying across the country. Why don't you say, I only work with clients in Arizona or Utah or New York or wherever it is that you are and say, I focus on this geographic area, narrow it down. Yeah. And the thing is, when you narrow it down, you end up getting more of those clients that are your ideal clients. But because of fear, so many people try to cast that wide net and get as many as they can and they end up getting nobody. Right. Yeah, I love that. It's it's almost, you know, you start with the mindset shift before you do anything else because it's it's figuring out, you know, why you do it a certain way and why you niche down and and you know, getting that ideal client or customer because of of the efforts that you're doing to be more, you know, focused on who you're looking for. So I love that. Um so then one other thing I wanted to talk about, I love um I know you have multiple businesses. And so I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but I wanted to talk about, um, the published author. So tell everyone about, um, the published author, the podcast, how that all works, where that came from. Cause that to me is a fascinating concept and idea. And so I'd love to have you share uh, the message about that to the audience. Well, you and I are both visionaries. And so you know how this goes, you're running your business. And then as you're running a business, you come up with an idea or you confront a problem or you see an opportunity and you're like, well, I could do that too. 
And then the next thought is, well, why not? Why shouldn't I do it too? And of course, everybody around us is like, no, just run your one business. Just focus on your one business. But we're like, no, I'm going to start this other business and it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to have two businesses then. <laughs> and that's how we get sucked into it, running like 10 businesses at the same time. Yeah. And so that's kind of what happened with the published author is I, I had my marketing agency, MWI. And in 2013, I started writing for Forbes and that led to writing hundreds of articles for two dozen publications. And then that led to a book deal. And my first book came out in 2016. I Maybe I finished it in 2015. I think it came out in 2016. <laughs> and once I'd writ written that book, it took so much work and I put so much effort into writing that book. And I learned so much about the publishing process that I felt like, well, now I can't not write another book because I've gained all this knowledge. Yeah. And after I wrote that book, I started working on this LinkedIn book. But what else happened was people started coming out of the woodwork and asking me for advice on how to do it themselves. So they, they were looking at the book, but they were also looking at the articles I had written for these magazines. And also that led to speaking engagements. So people were saying, how do I build this thought leadership system like you've done where I can get paid to speak and I can write articles and big publications and I can get book deals and how do I build that up and how do I leverage that to grow my business? Right. And so I started coaching entrepreneurs on how to do that just here and there. And then I had a friend, Blake Hanston came along and he said, Hey, you should turn this into like a mastermind, launch a mastermind and train people a little bit more formally, have like a structured process, weekly meetings and yeah. teach people how to do this. So we started a mastermind and we ran that for a few months, but it was kind of just all over the place. Like I would show up and just be like, all right, anybody got any questions about thought <laughs> leadership? Let's talk. And after a few months, people were kind of like, what's the end game here? Like, what are we working towards? How do we know when we've done it? Yeah. And I thought, yeah, I don't know. I just was showing up and ask, answering questions. I'm the like, visionary I, here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I started thinking about that though. I was like, there's got to be something that ties this all together. And then it came to me one day, it's a book. A book is the one unifying thing that ties together your thought leadership system. Not that everybody has to have a book, but you look at all the public speakers who are getting paid big money. Almost all of them have a book. Yeah. And you look at the people who are selling courses online. They've often got a book and the course is based on the book. And so I just started looking at how a book seemed to be this one thing that you could do that could really launch everything else and make the biggest difference for everything else that you might want to do. And the more I looked into that, the more I it seemed to be the case. And so I thought, you know what, let's change this thought leadership mastermind into a how to publish a book type of mastermind. Mm -hmm. And so that's where published author came from was this idea of, Hey, let's help entrepreneurs write business books, nonfiction, how to books, that they can then leverage to grow their business. So if yeah. you've got an accounting firm, you write a book about accounting that will attract your ideal audience and bring them in and help them to know, like, and trust you. And then they want to hire your business because, hey, you're the person who wrote the book on that topic. And you're of course, expert. people want to work with the best. And yeah. when people see a book, somebody once said a book is a business card on steroids. And I mean, it's amazing because if I send a piece of direct mail to somebody, 
they'll throw it away. But if I send a book to somebody, which is 200 pages of effectively advertising, they'll actually read it and thank me for it. (laughs) And so it's the best piece of marketing ever to convince people that you're the expert in your field and that you know what you're talking about and that they should come and hire you for what you do. Yeah. And then from that, you also launched the podcast. So you talk to authors as well. Um, Have you had, how long has that podcast been on? And so we launched it about a year and a half ago and we just passed a hundred episodes. I think we're at 112 episodes total now. Wow. And yeah, it's, it's been so fun. I mean, doing this podcast is the type of thing where I'm like, Oh, I could do this all day because I love talking to the people I'm talking to. Cause I'm talking to best-selling authors. I'm talking to publishers and editors and book marketers and Anytime I find somebody out there who knows something that I don't know a lot about in the publishing world, I'm like, all right, I'm going to get this person on the podcast. Yeah. I'm going to ask them all my questions. And that's my <laughs> secret is I'm really just interviewing the people that I want to talk to and everybody else who listens to the podcast gets to come along for the ride. Yeah. They're bonus, but right? <laughs> I, yeah. But I've learned so much from doing the podcast that helps me to help my clients because nobody knows everything about the publishing industry, but I'm trying to learn yeah. everything about it by interviewing all these people. And now that I've done 112, 113 episodes, it's like, man, I've, I've acquired so much knowledge through that, that I just couldn't have acquired any other way other than going out and interviewing a hundred people. But how do you get a hundred people to sit down with you? Well, you launch yeah. a podcast and then people are happy to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. And so So my question, did you read all of the books of the people that you interviewed or how did you manage reading all of those books? No, I didn't. I have a friend, Doug Burdett. He runs the marketing book podcast and he, that's one of his rules is he reads the book of everybody he interviews on his podcast. And I don't know how he does it, or at least I don't know how he does that in anything else. Right. Uh, For me, I can't do it, but I still want to talk to these people and get their stories. And so when somebody comes along and I'm like, oh, I, I just know that that's a good book or that's on a topic that I'd be interested in. Then I still get them in and talk to them about their book. And maybe I'll read it someday. Maybe I won't. I have so many books that I want to read. And I, I read a lot. I read anywhere from 75 to 125 books a year, but it's not enough. It's, there's always books that I'm like, oh, I need to read that someday. And just isn't time to get to all the good books out there. And do you do... Um... Uh, audiobooks and reading, or do you just do reading? Tell me what's your preference. I do both. For years, I was really into audiobooks only, and I would I do trail running, and so I'd go out running and I would listen to audiobooks on like double or triple speed. Oh my and gosh. so I got a lot of reading in when I was doing a lot of running, and then uh, a, probably just a year or two ago, I really got back into reading physical books and marking them and dog earing them and writing notes in the margins and stuff. And so I've been doing a lot more of that lately. So I've got, I've always got multiple books in process. So I'm reading, gee, I think I'm reading, let's see, one, two, three. I'm reading at least four books right now. And that's kind of, it's kind of that way just all the time that, I've got books in different places around the house and I've got different audiobooks I'm listening to uh on different topics and so yeah. Do you ever find yourself this happens to me a lot that you remember something that you read in a book and you're like, 
I remember I was reading this book and it's like you're reading four of them at a time, but you can't remember where which book it came from. And you're like, I know I read it somewhere. <laughs> Does yeah. that happen to you? That happens to me. And the other thing that happens, and this is for those of, who aren't watching the video of this, the, the background behind me is a bookcase and it's all color coordinated. I have all my red books together, yellow books together. And the reason I do that is I can often remember something I read and I'll remember the color of the cover, but I can't remember the title. Oh, and yeah. so if I organized my books alphabetically, it wouldn't help me at all. <laughs> or if I organized them by topic, that might not help me. But I'm like, oh, I had, I read this really good thing and it was in a yellow book. Yeah. And so then I can go to the yellow section on my bookshelf and search there and be like, oh, yep, there it is. It's that I book. Love that. Love uh, that. So that's why I have everything color coordinated. Plus it looks kind of cool, but <laughs> um, it really helps me to find the books. Cause yeah, I, I get so many thoughts mixed up and sometimes it's easy to keep them separate. I mean, like right now I'm reading a business book, but I'm also reading a civil war history book. I tend not to mix those two That's true. <laughs> genres up too much, but if I'm reading like four business books at once, then for sure stuff gets all muddled up. Absolutely. So tell us about uh, your most recent book, the 60 days to LinkedIn mastery. So what was the inspiration for that? And you know, how, how has that been since you've um, published that book? Yeah. Once again, like nothing seems to happen on purpose for me. It's always like <laughs> random things happen. And then I'm like, Hey, I could turn that into something. So a couple of years ago, well, several years ago when I was writing for Forbes, LinkedIn rolled out a new platform and it was a blogging platform. And so I started experimenting, experimenting with this. And then I thought, you know what? I know how much traffic, views, engagement I get on my Forbes articles, and I can track that on LinkedIn. What if I took one of my Forbes articles and copied it over to LinkedIn? I'm just curious, like what would happen? Yeah. So I took one of my articles from Forbes, I copied it over, put it up on LinkedIn, and I got way more engagement on LinkedIn than I got on Forbes. I mean, like it had 400 reads on Forbes, and it got like 120,000 reads wow. on LinkedIn. And I had three comments on Forbes and I got a thousand comments on LinkedIn. And I was just blown away. I thought, wow, like I'm getting so much more out of this free platform that anyone can post to than I am on Forbes, where, which is pretty exclusive. And so that sent me down a rabbit hole of trying to figure out LinkedIn and its algorithm and how it all worked and learn how to leverage that to my advantage and the advantage of my business. And as I started to learn a lot about LinkedIn, I just got into it more and more. And then I started sharing tips from things that I was learning on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn, just saying, hey, I learned that you can do this thing and here's how I've used this. And this is, these are the results that I got. And as I started sharing more of these tips, it got to the point where I realized I have shared so many tips on how to use LinkedIn that if I just went back and copied and pasted all these tips, yeah. I basically have half of a book right there. <laughs> and then I could just expand on each of these and polish it up a little bit. And so that's where the idea for the LinkedIn book came from. And then what I went out and did is uh, somebody approached me and they had a crowdfunding platform for books. And they said, Hey, you should turn this stuff into a book. And why don't you use our platform? It's called Publishizer. So it's kind of like Kickstarter, but just for books. Okay. And so Publishizer came and said, Hey, why don't you launch a project on our platform and see if anybody would be interested in it. So I did that and they said it would be good, like really good if I could pre-sell 500 copies. And I ended up selling, I think 635 pre-orders. 
And so I thought, all right, I guess I'm going to do this book. And that was two and a half years ago. And it took me about two and a half years to finish <laughs> the book and finally get it out. Uh, but it finally came out in October. I just got the audiobook done literally this week. And so that's coming out soon. The hardback just came out soon. So soon I'll have all the, uh, the versions up. Um, but yeah, so that's where the book came from. So now it's 60 days to LinkedIn mastery. It's basically 60 short lessons that you can, you can read the book. You can read one of these chapters each day. It'll take you about five minutes to read it. Another five minutes, maybe to implement the suggestion or the tip that's in there. Yeah. And at the end of 60 days, you'll be at the top of your LinkedIn game. I love it. Yeah. You know, I, um, obviously owning a digital marketing company, know LinkedIn pretty well, but I read your book as well. And there are some really cool tips in there that, you know, it's not necessarily for a beginner, it's for an advanced user as well. And so it was, it was really nice to kind of reframe your thoughts on certain aspects, um, and the tips that you were giving. And, you know, I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that. And so looking back at, you know, my profile and just kind of Let's see how I can fine tune it um, based on the tips from the book. So I thought it was a, a great read and definitely recommend it to anyone else who is looking to leverage LinkedIn and go from there. Oh, thank you so much. You know, the funny thing about writing a book about LinkedIn is you have to get technical in some parts and get kind of specific about instructions. And I tried to make the book as evergreen as possible, but yeah. there are parts where you just, you have to say like, you're going to go here and you're going to set up this thing and then do this and then this. And of course, the week after we published the book, LinkedIn changed some of those things. And so <laughs> I was like, oh, this book has not even been out for one week and they already messed our book up. We're going to have to reissue it next year with an updated version. Right. Well, I liked in the book you put, you know, you were very candid about that, that, you know, as you're reading this, this might be true or this may have changed, but you know, you really gave a resource too, and a link for people to go, um, you know, to your online platform to look at, you know, tips maybe that were updated from the time that it was published to the time that the person was reading it. So I, I like that a lot. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. So, so do you have another book in mind or is, are you just waiting to have some genius pop in your head and, and have your third book ready to, to write? I mean, once a visionary, always a visionary. And if you're a visionary entrepreneur, you end up being a visionary author too, which ends up being a curse because you have all sorts of book ideas. And so I'm working on several books right now, which I shouldn't be doing. I should work on one at a time, just like I should probably work on one business at a time, but oh, well, I'm working on a bunch at the same time. So I'm working on a book for the seven systems of influence. That's kind of my baby. That's the one that I would like to be the big one. I'm also working on a personal book that's a memoir about adopting my daughter from China. She was adopted as a 14-year-old, and we brought her home about two and a half years ago and had kind of a miraculous experience finding her, searching for her, finding her, bringing her home. So I'm writing a memoir about that. I'm not sure that will ever actually be public, but it's a book and I'm writing it. I love it. And then I'm also writing a book about education, which is... Childhood education is something I care a lot about. My mother was a public school teacher, and I've been involved with that for years. So I've got a book called The Four Fundamentals of Education I'm working on. And then I'm ghostwriting another entrepreneur's book right now, helping him work through his book and as kind of a book coach. So yes, there are a bunch of things in the works. I don't know which one's going to be done first. <laughs> 
Well, that's all exciting. And, you know, I love to, to see those ideas and stuff come to life. And um, I'll definitely be looking forward to seeing those come out. And we'll be following you to see the next book. And I wanted to first say thank you for having you as a guest on my podcast and giving me the opportunity to share your story with my audience. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on the show. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And um, we'll talk soon. Thanks so much for listening to the Creative Visionaries podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review, or share with a friend. Also, make sure to visit us online at creativevisionariespodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And stay tuned for more episodes to come. And remember, it's time to tap into your true potential and unleash your inner visionary.